Well, good morning. Uh, it's really good to be here with you today. Um, I, uh, I'm kind of excited because um, I'm going to share a little bit more about uh, my testimony uh, and, and, and even a little bit about, well, how I came to be in Montreal, uh, which is interesting because Fairview kind of plays a little bit of a, a role in that as well. Um, but when I started out my ministry, are we, uh, are we good up there? We got a, a PowerPoint? No? Uh, so I started out my ministry, um, I started out as a, as a dad, right? So uh, I did like a stage for my degree, and I, I did it at a, uh, a small town church in uh, middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan, uh, called Kindersley Alliance. Um, and I started out uh, in ministry at the same time that I also started out uh, as a father, uh, which was kind of like an interesting thing. So I remember uh, the first Sunday that I, that I showed up in this small town church, and, and I was so proud of my son. Uh, you want to go to the next slide? My oldest son, James. Okay, there he is. Uh, and it was in that, that, that carrier there um, that I, I brought him up, and, and, and the pastor, he, he invites Sharon up, which she hated because she hates having to be in front of people, and doesn't like that, and so <clears throat> I always do my best to take the attention off of her, and so I take my son, and his arms, they kind of get, I don't know if you've tried to take a baby out of one of those things, it's like, it's like trying to, you got to be some sort of secret agent, because they get locked in, and so his arms are in there, and so I'm like, I'm shaking, I'm trying to get that thing off, and it, it just wasn't coming off, and so you hear all these gasps from these, <laughs> these beautiful church ladies who are just like, what is he doing to that child? And I, I lift him up and have a Lion King moment, here's my son. And uh, I realized that, uh, that, that maybe I was more comfortable with the way that I juggled my son than some of those ladies in church were. I may, I'm kind of a bad person. You need to pray for me. I may, what I used to do, see, James, James was, oh, he's still, he's huge. Like, the kid is just a truck. Um, but and that's been, like, right from the beginning. He was army crawling on the ground when he was five months old. Like this, and I was so proud. I'm just like, oh, look at my son. He's going to be, he was walking at nine months. I'm just like, yeah. At 10 months, I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if this is so good, actually. <laughs> my, uh, my second son, Isaiah, he took a little bit longer to develop the, the walking part of things, and I was really okay with that. But what I would do when he was young, before he could even really stand very well, I would take him, and I would put his feet in my palms. And I would hold him, and he would stand up, and I would balance him. And the church ladies, they're dying. They're just like, oh, <laughs> they couldn't handle that. And, and I probably took too much enjoyment out of that. And I would do it, and, and, and it was, I don't know, it was this cool thing. But it always, it really, it amazed me how this little baby, uh, this little toddler who couldn't walk, he couldn't really even stand very well, he couldn't bounce, but he had enough strength to stand when he was in my hands. Today's passage is found in uh, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, it's uh, verses 4 to 9. I want to focus on this idea of peace today, uh, its role and its function in our relationship with God. And, and part of the way I want to share that with you is to share part of my story and, and how peace, um, how I really learned to understand its function and role in my relationship with God. See, that church that I, I started my stage at, uh, it was a fantastic church, and there was this kind of like this secret plan that the uh, senior pastor had to actually 
to, to maybe move me into the role of the senior pastor so that he could retire. And so this seemed like a good idea to the church. It seemed like a good idea to us. And so that was kind of the goal. And so I spent the next few years just, just doing ministry with the youth, uh, uh, preaching. I had a, a, an amazing opportunity to learn what it is to, to be a pastor, to walk alongside the board there. And, and I have a wealth of experience because of that opportunity. And, and as you know, things started to happen, um, that senior pastor, his wife passed away. And so uh, there, was, there was difficulties in the church at the time. Um, because of that, just extra stress. And so retirement and these things were all looking very much more like they were going to become a reality. I started to develop in my heart and in my life a restlessness. It was, it was, there was a lack of peace. And I wasn't doing anything wrong per se, but I just, uh, I just felt, uh. I, I, I typify the, the year before I left that church as kind of like the struggle between whether or not I was David or whether or not I was Saul. I felt like, am I the guy that the people want because it looks good, it makes sense on paper, or am I the guy that God has provided? And I, I, just, I didn't have peace about one way or another. And, like, and so actually because I'd started my stage there, I hadn't finished my degree yet. And so the church, they're like, well, if you want to be a pastor here, you've you got to finish your degree. And so they sent me back to school. And so uh, Kindersley, Saskatchewan is about four hours away from Calgary, Alberta, where my school was. Uh, and so for the, the last two semesters that I needed to finish my degree, on Mondays, I would drive to Calgary, leaving my family, uh, which at that time, <laughs> that was the year Troy was born. And so Sharon was at home with three kids under three years old. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty awesome. <laughs> and I would leave Mondays. I would do my school. I would come home on Friday. I would go to youth group on Saturday night. And then I would preach and still do things that pastors have to do on Sunday. And then I would do it over again. All, all that year, I was struggling. Am I David or am I Saul? I just... I was, I was doing everything right. I was, I was um, the, the, you know, it looked good. Like, I want to be a senior pastor. I want to I lead a church. I want to I develop a community of God. And, and, and here's this community of God. And they're just like, we just want a pastor. And we want someone who's young and vibrant who's going to uh, take us and lead us into the next stages of our community's walk. Just, oh, this, this makes sense. You know, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but pastors, you know, like, they don't make tons. If you're getting into being a pastor for the money, maybe reevaluate your, uh, your, your choices, your decision here. Becoming a senior pastor was going to be awesome because there was going to be a little pay increase. That would have been awesome. I would have been set. My wife, she's a small town girl. We were in a small town. She was so comfortable. This was a perfect situation. And yet, we didn't have peace. And come to find out, it wasn't just me who didn't have peace. It was my wife who also didn't have peace. And, 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 it, and it's kind of hard to tell because, like, we were in this situation in life where do we not have peace because our life is crazy? Or do we not have peace because there's something wrong with the, the direction that we're moving? And, and, and the direction that we were moving wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing. So we spent a year 
in this weird place where we're just like, oh, I don't know. Finally, I remember, it was December 16th, uh, we sat down with one of the, the elders from the board, and we're just like, is this a thing? Like, are, are, are we supposed to be here? Like, do you guys really want us to be the pastors here? And, 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 and the elders, yes, the board is for this. This is a plan. Uh, it's been a tough year, but, but let's do it. The next morning, I was driving uh, to Calgary for my last final exam. And uh, just in that time of prayer and meditation, uh, because four hours uh, at four in the morning, there's not a lot to do except uh, watch out for, for elk and, and listen to sermons and music. In that time of prayer, uh, God spoke to me, and, and he just said, um, are you building your kingdom or are you building my kingdom? And I'm a good pastor, okay, and I was like, no, no, Lord, I'm, I'm, building, I'm building your kingdom, not mine, it's, it's yours. And he said, okay, well, this isn't where I want you to be then. And it was just this whole year of, of, of this, this, this lack of, of peace, this dissonance, this angst that I've been carrying around. You know, my, my wife had the same thing. She, after that first semester, you know, she was not in the most, uh, the best emotional states. <laughs> okay? I said, dear, I love you. Please, please go away for a weekend and, and figure this out with Jesus because I don't know how to, to help you right now. And so she did. She went to the mountains, which in Alberta, we've got real mountains. There's snow at the top of them, okay? Not like these little hills you have here. <laughs> and just as she went and, and sought after God that weekend, he just, he met with her and reaffirmed to her that he had called us and that, that he was at work. And, and it was there that he told her, you know, you aren't going to be in Kindersley that much longer. And well, what does that mean? You know, like, what is one day to the Lord? So we're just, okay, fine. And so in, in December, when God spoke to me, I just had this, this sense. It was like a, a bell resonated in my life. It was like, okay, okay, where do you want me to go? Montreal. <laughs> Montreal. Why would I go there? It's all right, but it's not me you got to convince, Lord. It's Sharon. Because, as I mentioned, Sharon is a small-town girl. We lived in Edmonton. We lived in Calgary, and these cities had left her with a real distaste for cities. And so she had told me, just like, I will never go to another place bigger than Kindersley. Kindersley was 5,000 people when you add all the farms, Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in a small town, but it is a different kind of place. You know, people stop at the stop signs, get out of their cars, and talk to each other. <laughs> you laugh, but I'm not joking. I called her, and she said, I explained to her this whole, like, thing. And this was the night after the elder had talked to us and assured us. And she said, okay, let's go. And I was like, What? Because God had been working in her, and, and this peace, this dissonance that she had felt as well, it was like a bell went off in her head as well, in her heart as well. And so when I said this, she said, okay. And now I'm like freaked out. I'm like, whoa, okay, well, remember what you said about cities? Okay, Montreal, it's a city of cities. It's a world-class city. Okay, and then I started talking about like corruption and, 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 you know, driving and all these different things. You know, the hell's angels are there and all this. And 
She's just like, nope, I don't care. This is where God wants us. So is it okay? So I, from there, it was very clear that we needed to, we needed to go. And so we, I went, I resigned my position, much to the surprise of the senior pastor. Um, thankfully, he knows Jesus and still loves me. Uh, and we got a lot of flack because it was just like, what a crazy, like, why are you, people would say, don't you know there's French people there? <laughs> it's like, yes, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> why would you move out there? My, my dad asked me, you know, like, isn't there more work out west? And, like, finding a job in a church out west is actually pretty easy because there's a lot of them. But what I told him, Dad, is like, yeah, Dad, there, there's, there's a lot more pay out west, but there's more work out east, I think. And so I sold all of my stuff, um, not because I'm especially holy or anything like that. It's just my stuff wasn't worth paying for someone to move it all the way to Quebec. Uh, I loaded up my, my vehicle. Sharon and the boys went, and they stayed with with her folks, and I drove to Montreal to find a job. And, and wouldn't you know, there was actually a church looking for a senior pastor at the time? Yeah, it was Fairview Alliance. <laughs> and I thought to myself, hey, I want to be a senior pastor. They're looking for a senior pastor. I see what you're doing here, Jesus. I like what you're doing. And so I came. I came here because I knew God had called uh, my family to Montreal. Me and Sharon felt very strong that God called us to a place and we didn't want to put it into a box. And so we just said, God, we will come to this place and we will go through whatever door you open. And so when I saw this like awesome door, I'm just like, all right. So I came and I, and I, and I joined in and I sat always behind Alan and Judy. And for three months, I attended Fairview Alliance, kind of like hoping, hey, I'm a good guy. You guys could hire me to be your pastor. You didn't yet at that point in time. It's kind of worked out since then, I guess. Um, and that was really hard for me. Because I, I, I felt like, okay, God, you know, I, I figured it out. I figured out why I didn't have this peace anymore. You wanted me to go to this place, so I went to this place, and here's the situation, and isn't this what you wanted for me? And so why is it not working? And I went through a struggle and depression in my life at that time that I had never experienced before. Because I felt like I had done exactly what God had wanted me to do after uh, an extremely difficult year. And it was just like God didn't show up. But this crazy thing in, in the midst of this darkness, and, and, and we had, a, I, like, Earl and Wendy, okay? I don't know if you guys have had an opportunity to go to their place because uh, they, just, they just took me in and started feeding me. And, and that really is a fast way to get into my, my heart, you know, like... <laughs> They took care of me, and God sent these people to walk alongside me. And, 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 and in that difficulty, in that darkness, in that loneliness that I felt, I didn't ever lose a sense of peace. The sense that, like God said, this is where I want you to be. And that there were still doors that he was looking to open up, and I, I still needed to be here so that I could walk through those. And, and on the flip side, Sharon was at home. It was a nightmare. The, the first week that Sharon was at home, Troy, my youngest son, was up every single night vomiting through the night. Every single night. And then, like, and Troy's weird because he can throw up and then, like, he, it's like he's fine. It didn't stop until she started praying every time she got up to help him throw it up. 
We had people, my, my mother-in-law, who I love dearly and who loves us dearly, she, she was asking us, maybe, maybe it's Montreal, but maybe not right now. We had a lot of people who were just like, why? I remember we went to this, this prayer retreat with the, uh, the workers at the, in, the, in the Midwest, in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And there's all these, all of our friends that, that, that we'd been working with, they kind of just like, they looked at us differently. They're just like, wow, you guys are really doing it. It's just like, what? Aren't, aren't we all really doing it? Aren't we all just serving God and doing what he's asking us to do? And like, it, just people treated us differently. We couldn't understand it. When I got here, and, and, and amazingly, there was this church that had this need for a youth pastor. Uh, MCAC actually created the position um, with another guy in mind. And in God's grace, somehow I got it. And, and as I'm, I don't know if you've met Pastor Marshall, he's a fantastic guy. I love him very much. We went for a walk at, uh, at, at Place Vertu, and we're walking around the mall, and, and we're talking, and, and he's just like, do you have impulse issues? It's like, I can appreciate why you might say that, where I would sell all my stuff and just move to Montreal and what apparently is just a whim. But no, I don't have impulse issues. I have peace. And God's used that when, when it was in the space of like, it was, it was, I was in angst. I had a peace, that, but it, was, it, it wasn't settled. And I've had peace in difficulty where it was settled. Well, this is where I began to, and it wasn't, it wasn't until uh, being here in Montreal where I started to recognize that what had got me through that time was this sense of God's presence in my life and, and, and how he was leading me through that. But here's the thing about peace. If you want to go to the next slide. The peace of God doesn't save you from harm. It saves you through harm. Okay? The peace of God does not save you from harm. It saves you through it. I like that picture of that dark hallway because the peace of God does not remove that hallway. It says, I'm going to walk with you through that. See, peace is, is like, you see those guys with, the, with the, the plates and the balancing? Okay? Peace is like a guy who can balance plates and everyone starts throwing things at them. And the plates stay up, even though he moves. Peace is the capacity to be able to, to, to maintain, despite the adversity and difficulties and tribulations that you're going through. You know, Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples uh, in John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When we think of peace, okay, and when we think of worldly peace, often we think of the absence of strife, the absence of violence. That I would say is a worldly peace and not necessarily a bad thing. But I don't think the peace that Jesus gives us is quite the same as that. I don't think it's inconsistent with that, but it's not quite the same. Because Jesus also said, in, in, in chapter 16, just a little after that, I said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And Jesus is telling his disciples, look, in me you're going to have something that's going to be able to get you through the difficulties that are coming. You will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. 
but in me you will also have peace. You know, this, there's a, I don't know, it's kind of a famous Bible story. There's a lot of those, I suppose. Uh, but a particular one where Peter's in this boat and Jesus is walking on water to him. And, and, and there's a storm and the waves are slapping up against the water. I, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm more afraid of being in like a little boat on like a lake or an ocean than I am in a plane. I don't know why. But it, like water freaks me out more than nothing does. And, and so... You, I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Jesus walks out, and the disciples are just like, is that Jesus? No, is that a ghost? What's going on? And Jesus calls to him, and it says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when the wind, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So interesting that Jesus calls out to him, and Peter does this amazing thing, this faithful thing. He says, Lord, if it's you, call out to me, and I'll come, and I'll know it was you. And he does. And even more crazy, Peter walks on water. Miraculous except for when he starts to notice the wind. Once he gets some static, once the difficulty of walking on water becomes apparent to him, he starts to sink. He gets more distracted about what's going on around him than the one who's enabling him to walk on water. And so he starts to sink, and what does he say in that moment? Save me. Save me, Lord. And Jesus says to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? What was it in the world that you experienced that you think I can't overcome? What became bigger in your life than me that caused you to start to sink? Because that's not the kind of peace that I have come to give you. Go to the next slide. See, peace is something that, uh, that needs to be maintained. It needs to be uh, cultivated. Now, if you look at this picture, okay, <clears throat> uh, I, don't know, I don't know who these guys are. You can't really make out their names. Um, it doesn't matter. What I can tell you is one of them is walking away from this. One of them is not. See, uh, the guy in the yellow helmet there, he's about to get uh, blindsided, Right? He doesn't have his head uh, on the swivel. He's not looking around. And uh, someone on the other team is going to make him pay for that mistake. When I was playing football in high school, I was playing a position of slot back. And uh, one of the the plays, the the ball was going to get run outside. And my job was to seal and contain the linebackers in. And so we're practicing this uh, during practice. and, And the outside linebacker, he, he kept watching the ball, and so he's running, and he's watching the ball, but I'm coming back from this direction, and, and I warned him several times. I said, dude, you're going to die. Like, you need to keep your head on a swivel. And I, I, I said, finally, look, if you do it again, I'm going to hit you. And so, <laughs> he, the next play, he did it again, and, and I hit him, and he broke his collarbone. <laughs> and I felt bad, but I told him. 
Ephesians 6, 11, and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, the enemy is like that Oakland Raider there. And he expects us to not turn and look, to not see. He's trying to catch us while we are unawares, and he's going to try and blow our life up. 1 Peter 5-7, to I love this passage and what it says because it hearkens to this idea of peace. It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. If you aren't aware that the enemy is trying to take you out, then you're going to be taken out. And it's not just the overt kind of sins that we often think of, that we often, we look at our lives and say, well, I'm not that bad. This morning in the prayer, we talked about the distractions. If we lose our focus, what did Peter do? He lost his focus. And because of that, he started to sink. If you're going to be able to fight for your peace, you need to keep your head up. I love the, 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 the verse in, in John 3.16 and, and the way that the author of John uses it. And he illustrates that, that, that passage with this bronze serpent. That in, in, the, in the Exodus, the Israelites, they, had, <laughs> they pushed God too far again. And he sent a plague to kill them. And there was these snakes that were biting. And they, they realize they're wrong. They repent and say, save us, Lord. God tells Moses, make a bronze serpent. And he tells them, when you look at this bronze serpent, once you've been bitten, you'll be saved. You will survive. And the, the author of John uses that story to illustrate the, the Son of Man. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And when you have been bitten by the snake, you turn to him and you will be saved. And it is a question of focus. It is a question of attention. And can you think of any more uh, uh, severe battlefield than, than the battle for your attention in this day and age? If your phone dinged right now, you would probably, you would have to resist. If someone's phone beside you dinged right now, you would probably, like me, have to resist checking it. Because we're conditioned to look at these things, but are we conditioned in the same way to look to the one who gives us peace? And so, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Let's look at Philippians 4, 4 to 9. And I kind of want to start in the beginning of it where it actually addresses this idea of peace in verse 7. This is the promise. This is the promise that, that scripture gives us that we can hold on to. It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the peace of God is sufficient to get you through life's most difficult situations? And I love that it's not just guarding your mind, but it's also guarding your heart.
I love that because it's not just about what I feel and experience, it's about what I think. And that in this time when there is so much information, when there are so many different things, when the pace of of development and technology seems to be uh, uh, growing exponentially, that the peace of God is something that can get me through all of that. So the passage says, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Just a quick note about this passage. It's not just a standalone thing. It's in a context here. And in the previous chapter, Paul's going through all those things that you should be avoiding. He's talking about the kinds of sins that you should be removing from your life, that you should be abstaining from. And even the first few chap- or verses of this chapter, he, he's, he's calling out the individuals, making a personal plea to the individuals in the church at Philippi. To come together, work together, set aside your differences, set aside your, 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 your arguments with one another, and remember that you both serve the Lord. Amen. And then from there he goes into, into verse 4. Have you experienced the power of rejoicing? The power of thanksgiving? If you are feeling alone, if you are feeling depressed, if you feel like there is nothing good in your life, then start off with just thanking God for how good he is. And go from there. And God will supply your praise. He will bring things to your attention that you can thank him for. And I have never started that and not found myself in a different place than when I started that there is power in rejoicing. And so Paul says it twice. He says, rejoice always. I tell you again, rejoice. The next verse in verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. <laughs> be reasonable. Jesus is watching. But that word reasonable, it, it actually, it's most often translated as Gentle. Kind-hearted, patient. Let your patience be known to everyone. This morning, this was uh, especially convicting me because my kids are going crazy over there, and I'm quiet. Stop it. Put that down. We're praying. Shh. Are you known for the interactions that you have with other people? And what is known about those interactions? There's there's like a buzzword, tolerance. I don't like tolerance. I think tolerance is a bad way of looking at the way that we should interact with one another. I think a much better word is respect. That we need to respect one another. To recognize the, the, the image of God. 
in one another. And so that was also a synonym that was used in there, but I don't know. I, if anyone comes up to me and says, you know what, I find you tolerable, I don't really take that as like, <laughs> as like a, well, I take it for what it is. Thank you. <laughs> it's interesting. So in verse 7, we have this promise of what God is going to give us, this peace that surpasses understanding. And what that means is it's just like, I don't understand how you're holding it together right now. Do you understand what's going on around you? And the piece that surpasses our understanding is like, yes, I understand what's going on around me, but I'm good. I saw this, I, I don't know, it's not that long ago, but the, 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 the presidential election a few years ago, people were losing their minds. This guy Trump, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And there was this one sportscaster who said, you know what, uh, I had a hard time with this. Um, I think he abstained or he wrote in and voted for someone else. I, I can't remember exactly. He says, but to me it doesn't matter who sits in the Oval Office because I know who sits on the throne. And so in verse 6, uh, it, it actually kind of like, it's, it's the application of the promise that we've been given in verse 7. And it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So don't worry about anything. That doesn't mean don't do anything. It means don't worry about it. Don't worry about anything and in everything by prayer and supplication, by asking Jesus, look, this is yours, take care of it, please. Let your requests be made known to God. Walk with God. It, it's, it's not as though uh, uh, God stops walking with us, but is our focus, is our attention on him. Have the waves crashed in on us as we walk on water towards our Lord where we start to sink and feel like, I can't do it. Verse 8 there's this list. It's a convicting list. When you think about uh, your Netflix account, when you think about uh, your Spotify account, the books that you're reading, the movies that you're watching, how many of those are, are eliminated from this list? What kinds of video games are you playing? Maybe that's not your bag. It's kind of mine. That's fine. Is it lovely? Is it pure? Because these are the kinds of things that create static in our life. These are the things that take our focus and attention away from what Jesus is calling us to. Think about those things. It's not very often that I get the chance in my life anymore to just sit and think. But I need it. And I need to sit and think on God's word. I need to think on his presence. I need to think on what he's doing in my life. And then there's this last verse, verse 9. And I included this uh, because it's so crucial. Remember in the, in the first verses of chapter 4, 1 to, 1 to 3, he's entreating, Paul's entreating uh, his friends to work together, to take care of one another. And it's interesting, actually, uh, he even says... Um, uh, I have to look it up, sorry. He, 
He even says in verse 3, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He makes this, this kind of like appeal to the person reading it as well. It's like, look, it's part of your responsibility to, to bring these people together as well. And so then when we see in verse 9, we see in verse 9 where he says, And you have learned and received and heard and seen in me what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I had this, this time in my life where I experienced the peace of God both in affirmation and in, and in dissonance. And, and I've used that, uh, that story and that experience to bring other people into understanding about the way that God is using peace in their life. And the way that I follow God and the way that I, I pursued him and, and understanding the way in which that he has pursued me. I, I want to share that with other people. And so I want to ask you a very kind of pointed question today. Are you discipling someone? Are you being discipled by someone? Because Jesus kind of made a big deal about that. Go to the next slide. Strike where the iron is hot, otherwise you're just making noise. I know the saying is strike while the iron's hot. I don't think that's as clever as what I've said here, okay? (laughs) Strike where the iron is hot because it assumes that the iron is hot. See, striking while the iron is hot doesn't necessarily communicate that you know where to hit. And I got to tell you something, in my understanding, in my capacity, in my ability, I miss the heat often. And so strike where the iron is hot. I don't want to just make noise. I just don't want to bang aimlessly. I want to be part of something that is shaping something that lasts. Whether that's a life, whether that's a community, whether that's a ministry. I want to do something that that God will, will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because I'm awesome or it's about me, but because I get to be part of what God is doing. Your capacity and ability to know and understand where it's hot is directly connected with your relationship with God. Look, I spent that whole year of my life becoming a better pastor. I was going to school. I was learning the pastorly type things. For the good reasons, I was was wanting to love and encourage and develop people in his body, but I wasn't doing it where the iron was hot. So I needed God to direct my blows. In Colossians 3.15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. There's something about the peace that Jesus gives us that actually can help direct us. That when we feel like we have peace, that we feel that we're synchronized with Christ, that we're walking in step with the Spirit, we're moving in the right direction, our hammer is falling on where it is hot. But when there's something that's, that's off, there's something that's bothering us, there's something that's not quite right, we need to stop and ask, implore God, what's going on? And, and I wish I could tell you that that's an instantaneous process where God's just like, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you now. Because that was in my experience. I spent a year doing it. And that God was, <laughs> he was working on me. 
And when I got here to Montreal, it's not like I was all figured out. God continued to work on me, and I continued to need to seek after him and say, where, God? Where do you need me? Where do you want me? In Acts 15, it talks about, uh, in verse 28, it says, um, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no other greater burden than these requirements. They're sending out, uh, uh, is Paul and Barnabas? Am I right about that? Pastor Mario? Yeah? He'll, he'll let me know later. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit that God, he actually synchronizes our peace. That when we're in connection with him and connection with one another, he has an opportunity to direct us more clearly. And that this isn't just an individualistic process, but it's actually a community process. In verse 1 to 3 of chapter 4 of Philippians, he implores those women to work together. Because when they're divided and not working together, they're, they're working against what God is calling them to. You know... Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's not go and make ministries. Go and start programs. It's go and make disciples. Now don't get me wrong, okay? I eat because of ministry. (laughs) And I, and I do programs and those kinds of things as a part of it. But if I'm not discipling, then I'm missing out on what God has called me to do. And I love the promise that he gives us. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Like Jesus is where the iron is hot. Are you? I have been blown away by how often God has spoken to my heart as I'm trying to encourage and speak to a brother or sister's heart. As I'm trying to disciple a young person. How often I have given someone the very advice that I needed to hear. And that God has, has shaped me and changed me as I pursued his calling to disciple and to make disciples. And what does it say? Where two or three are gathered, I will be there. There's something about disciple, something about community of believers and the presence of Jesus and what is Jesus? He's our peace. How are we cultivating that? Not just in our personal purity and lives, but also in our community. I want to leave you with this. Next slide. Are you in your Father's hands? In Isaiah uh, 26.3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him, you keep the person who maintains their mind on you in peace, perfect peace. In in, in 23.12, it says, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all of our works. Why don't I need to be anxious? Why don't I need to be worried? It's because God's already accomplished it. He's already given us victory. But God says through Isaiah, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in In returning and rest you will be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Now my son, 
when I held him in my hands and he stood. He didn't, it, it wasn't, he, he wasn't old enough to really choose. He, he didn't go, Dad, hey, do the weird thing to scare the church ladies. I did it because I want to do it because I'm a bad person and I want to scare the church ladies. And there's something about the strength that was inherent in my son, you know, that I, that I look at and I think Jesus has strengthened us. But he's only strengthened us to a point where uh, we can just stand and just barely. My son at that time, he couldn't stand by himself. And it was, it was awful because he would always fall backwards and, and bonk his head. And, but he was stubborn and, and difficult, which I don't know where he gets that from. But he would climb back up. And he would start to get upset because he realized, oh, I climbed back up again. The only way that I get down is hitting my head. And so he'd start to cry and say, oh, hey, little buddy, and I'd help him down. There you go. But then he'd, he'd climb back up. And after a couple times of that, I said, well, you're going to have to figure it out or you're going to be brain dead, one of the two. But are we willing to stand in the hand of God? Because he will balance us through the difficulties. That he will keep us standing perfectly if we're willing to trust his hands. And the problem is, as soon as we step outside of the protection of his hands, we start to fall. But his love for us is so great that his hands are never closed to us. And they're always ready to receive your feet, to stand in them again. So are you willing to be held by your father? Let's pray.